Right, folks, we're going to make a start. Um, there's lots of faces uh, out there today that I, I don't recognize. So um, for anybody who doesn't know me, I'm Meg, uh, married to Mark, who is leading this morning. And I'm going to be uh, sharing what's on my heart and continuing with our uh, teaching series called The Vine, where we have literally been going verse by verse through uh, John 15, um, which I don't know about you, but I've just found it incredibly encouraging and rich. Um, and wonderful to just have a little bit of spaciousness um, to think and dwell on God's word and on, on for a lot of us for, on a word that we know quite well already but actually just to hang about in there a little bit longer than normal um, is has been really lovely so um, so I'm going to be carrying on from that and we and sort of overview wise we've sort of reached halfway-ish point, so not technically, there are 17 verses, but just where the, where the paragraph, the new idea is just about to start. So, so really, my talk this morning, I hope, is kind of summarizing the first half of the passage and kind of bringing it all together before we move into the next half. I hope that makes sense. Um, for those of you who haven't been following, um, and if you want to open it in, in your Bible apps or in your Bible, we're John 15 verse uh, 8, although I am going to be talking quite a lot about 7 as well today. Um, and there will be other um, verses that I'm going to refer to um, throughout, uh, but we'll, we'll kind of stick with that one for now. Um, so I'm going to read. We're going to start with that. In fact, no, no, no I'm not. I'm going to pray. <laughs> Praise good. <laughs> um, Father God, thank you so much for your precious words to us. Thank you for all that you are doing in our lives, those things that we are aware of, but those many things that we're not aware of. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and fill our hearts with the truth of who you are, and as a result, the truth of who we are in you. Help us each to become more like you. And they all said, Amen, Amen. Fabulous. <clears throat> so, um, I'm going to read John 15, and I'm just going to read from verse 5 to 8, just so that it puts it in context. Um, so, uh, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
So just a big encouragement. If you are coming in today, and this is the first you've heard uh, any of the talks on this, we have got all of our talks we've done so far, they're all online, and I really recommend um, that you go back and listen to them, because it's like scaffolding. We're kind of building each week is built on the previous week, and it will make sense, and that richness in the Bible um, will make more sense if you've kind of been following it all the way through. Um, so, we're thinking about us bearing fruit, and in our bearing fruit, us giving glory to God. And I thought that this, this would be a nice, tidy little talk, and just go, go through it. Um, and, um, and just some things have really, really jumped out at me. And if I get a little bit tearful, by the way, I apologize. Um, sometimes happens when I'm, when I'm trying to talk, and God's been putting stuff on my heart. Um, but I'm, I'm talking to you not in a let's all meet at church and escape from the world out there and, and pretend that life is really easy and we can all get on with it. I'm talking to you this morning like a love letter from our Heavenly Father because he can see the stuff that we're struggling with day to day. And he can see the weariness and the tiredness and the questions we have. And he wants all of us to be living in him in the way that we should be. And the church and society has just taken such a massive knock over the last few years. And we can see the outworking of that fractured life just in the world and in the news in front of us. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. And yet, in that, we are called to bear fruit. And we are called to give God glory through the way that we are and the way that we do life. Um, so that's the, first, that's the first thing, really, is that even in the context of everything that's going on, even, even in our brokenness and our weakness, God has got plans for each and every one of us. Part of us as a, as a big church family, our individual lives, the impact we have in our workplaces, the streets that we live on, the relationships that we already have, and those relationships that God is going to set up because he wants to be glorified, he wants to meet people. So what is the fruit? What, what are we talking about when we're thinking about fruit? And I was, I, I kind of did a little bit of a read around about, you know, what do people normally talk about in this, when they're preaching on this particular verse? And really it's, it's kind of three things where, where we see fruit, okay? And, and they are, they're different directions. So the, the first fruit that I think God's talking about in this particular passage is our character, the fruit of our character, the inner working of how God is doing stuff inside us. Um, and we can see that in Colossians 1, uh, 10 to 11. It says that we are supposed to lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him as we bear fruit in every good work. Um, good character then goes on to produce 
conduct. Some of these words feel a little bit clunky in society because it's all very, it all sounds very sort of uniformed and um, ordered in, in kind of the disarray that we, we have around us. But if, we've, if our character is good and fruitful, the way that we behave, our conduct will be noticeable in the world. We should be different to everybody around us. We, it should be noticeable that we behave in a different way to the world. And I think there's been a lot of kind of grayness in that, where we've been so longing to be open and accepting to everyone that sometimes that's compromised our own behaviors and the things that we choose to do, to get involved in, to say yes to. Um, so if we've got character as fruit and we've got our conduct as fruit, and if our character is the inner working and our conduct is the outer working, then the big picture in that and the way that we can glorify God is, is people being converted. Okay, three C's. And they're all, they're all totally linked. They're not separate. So that we can impact the people and the lives around us. So if we, if we are transformed on the inside, sorry to be so repetitive, but I think sometimes it's just really helpful to go back to simple. If, we, if, we are, if our characters are different, our behaviors are different, and we are noticed, and then we are then be able to introduce people to the person of Jesus, you know, and it's a really well-known phrase, but you know, often it, um, people will never ever read the Bible we are the Bible. We are the only version of the Bible that people are going to see. So therefore, it's really important that we reflect the Bible in, in what we do. Um, marvelous, I've got here. Marvelous, exclamation mark. There you go. I shall sit down now. Uh, no, that is just, the, just the, the little opener. The problem is that it's a struggle living like that at the moment, I think. I think it's really hard work. Um, I remember when I was not a Christian and I didn't like Christians and uh, I certainly wouldn't go into a church. Um, very, very anti. Um, the little bits of what I thought was Christian that I'd seen, um, I, just, I just saw people who kind of were dual lives. You know, they'd say one thing and they'd do something else. They'd behave in a, in a way that you know, I, I didn't like, it felt judgy. Um, so I had all these reasons until I started hanging out with Mark, who was a Christian, and I met Mark's family, who were all Christians. And the combination of being with them, seeing what their character was like, seeing the way that they conducted and made choices in their lives, seeing how utterly generous and kind um, and full of the riches of the word of God, that everything that they did was, was kind of, had this foundation of, of, of trying to be more Christ-like. And the combination of that, and obviously, you know, the Holy Spirit, I became a Christian and I converted. So all of my hate, I think, was probably you know, the words towards Christianity just dispelled. All my arguments dispelled because I was actually living and breathing and seeing in the actual 
real people with real faith and real transformation, uh, humble, my goodness, they were so humble and kind, really, really kind. You know, and I also remember some awkward conversations. I can remember being in the kitchen with Mark's mum doing the washing up. And Mark's mum, we were chatting about something totally different. And she just turned to me, and bearing in mind, not, not Christian at all, not churchy at all. She went, oh, I can't wait for you to get to know the, the living and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, so, so clunky is sometimes when we're trying to do the right thing, we say random things, but my goodness, she was so right. She was so right, and she got to see that in me. She got to celebrate that in me. Um, but in all of this, the weariness that I think we're feeling, the tiredness, the temptation to give up, all of that, I think, has, has, has made doing this stuff hard, really hard. And um, I'll, keep, I'll keep crying, because you know, when, when I was um, worshiping this morning, I had this picture of a child with his back to, the, to his father, and the father was standing there with his like, arms wide open like this. And the child was just kind of, looked like a trauma, traumatized child who was kind of all curled up, and back was up, and you know, was obviously in deep torment from something that had happened. And the father standing behind with all of this love and all these gifts and everything, and this, this child not being able to turn and see what was there, what was the real, real image of, the, of what the father had. And I've, I'm just sensing that God has so much to give us, and our backs are turned, and we need to turn around we need to turn and see what he's got for us. Um, there's loads of factors with why things are tough at the moment. Mark's mentioned Israel and uh, the war that, that's going on in the Ukraine. Other things that are going on in the world that don't make the media. Huge, huge um, changes and shifts in our thinking. A lot of that come out from pandemic. You know, and we don't want to talk about pandemic anymore because like, well, that was over there. We, we're here now, but it's still having ripple effects and people are still getting ill with COVID. So it's real and you mustn't underestimate the, the impact that it's having on us. And when we're struggling and stuff isn't working out how, how it should be working, we get fearful. And when we're living in fear, which is the opposite spirit, to what God has for us, we can, we can literally miss out on everything that he has. So I've put here, the world is a mess and we are struggling to keep up the good faith and pray with power and authority that God has got for us in abundance. Where is the fruit? Where is the overflow? And Meg, why are you being so depressing talking about all this past stuff? <laughs> Why? Because we are not supposed to live in fear. We are not supposed to live like that at all. And when we do, we malfunction. Okay? When we live like that, we get anxious, we get depressed, we're suspicious, we distrust, we get hateful and bitter and angry and envious. Can you hear where this is going? 
we live in that level of, of fear all the time, we are missing the abundance that God's got for us. Why am I talking about all this? Well, that passage talks about bearing fruit and giving him glory and us needing to, our lives to reflect. You know, we can't be God's glory, but we can reflect God's glory. And that comes from hanging out with him and being with him and dwelling with him. If we're, those, if we're behaving like those frightened children with our backs turned, then how on earth are we giving the glory how on earth are we reflecting God's goodness? And when I was preparing this, I remembered the, the Narnia books. Who read the Narnia books? So I didn't go to church, but my goodness, I had an incredible experience of, of the Father's love through the character of Aslan. And I do, from time to time, attempt to read C.S. Lewis theology books. Uh, and then I'm like, no, I'll just stick to Narnia. Um, and I can, I've read some, I've read some C.S. Lewis um, commentaries about his writing, and he's an extraordinary theologian, um, and was, and was, you know, lived in a time where, you know, we've got the war, you know, so he's writing not from a place of everything all being wonderful and perfect and lovely. Um, there was a lot of pain in his own life and stuff that he was um, trying to deal with. But he wrote these books for us, and, and if you've never read the Narnia books, please read them. And if you have read them, go back and read them again, because they're amazing. But in the last book of the Narnia series, which is called The Last Battle, there's this extraordinary scene um, where they are, they've entered into the kingdom. All of the battle has been done, and they've entered into the kingdom, and it's amazing. And all these incredible transformations are happening. All these promises are being fulfilled. But we've got this little scene of the dwarves in a stable. Does anybody remember this scene? And so you've got these dwarves and they're in the kingdom. They're surrounded by the richness and the presence of Aslan, who, who in this is, is the father. He's the, he's the king, he's, he's in charge of everything. And they are so preoccupied with their own distrust and pain and suffering that they don't see any of the abundance that God's got, um, sorry, that Aslan's got for them. They can't see it. Now, it's easy to think that the dwarves are the world and they're the ones that are out there and they're, they're not part of the, the God story, but the dwarves were part of the invitation. And I think there are times when we as the church behave like the dwarves. And I think there are times where we are so preoccupied with what's not happened in our perceived ideas and where we're relying on our strength rather than God's strength and we're living in our truth rather than his truth, we miss all of the good news. And my goodness, we need good news at the moment. Okay? gone off script sorry <laughs> we behave because we're human beings but we behave like there's been no cross and there's no perfect love and we know that in the bible perfect love drives out what all fear 
perfect love drives out all fear. So if we're not living in love and we find that we're struggling to do the day-by-day -day dwelling, um, you can see where the issue might be that we need to know and be reminded that we are loved. Perfect love drives out fear. We are his children. Our father loves us so much, but we behave like orphans abandoned to survive on our own, struggling in the dark, grabbing at crumbs. We need restoring, friends. Does anybody agree with that? We need healing. Does anyone agree? We, we need to be reminded of the goodness of God, because at times over this last few years, we've believed that he's left us. Is anybody brave enough to agree that? So what does the word say about all this stuff and this mess? So our Heavenly Father is not in the slightest bit phased by our condition and our frailty, because he knows all. He instructs us on what to do in his word. Sometimes those instructions are loud and obvious, and other times they are small clues, like treasures. And the treasures are found all the way through John 15 in the richness of his word. Verse 7, which is what Mark preached on last week, says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is an echo of Luke 11.9, which says, this is when uh, Jesus has just been talking to the disciples and has, has given them a model for prayer. And he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be opened. And I just thought that was a really, really lovely um, reminder of his promises. But I got, I looked at um, Luke 11 with a completely different pair of eyes on, because I've read, I know this um, set of verses incredibly well. Um, so it's the one where you've got uh, Jesus answering the disciples, because the disciples are like, how do we pray? Lord, how, teach us how to pray. And he gives, he gives um, us what we call the Lord's Prayer. So Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So most of us know that prayer really well. And it's a really, really simple prayer. And something very childlike about that prayer. It's not a massive unpack of like hundreds and hundreds of ideas. It's just really simple and childlike. 
But then Jesus goes on to say, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity or um, persistence, he will surely get up and give you you as much as you need and then we get that line ask and it will be given unto you okay now there's something really interesting with that passage about the man who knocks on the door because I've always thought it's about persistent knocking but having been sticking inside John 15 and this idea of remaining, remain in me, remain in me, all the way through, remain in me, be, be grafted onto me, I am, I am rooted, all the nourishment comes from me. I read it very differently because I realized that there is something in the middle of this particular illustration that Jesus has. He says, suppose one of you answers, don't bother me, and suppose the one inside, rather, answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. So we've got a house with the father and his children. And you've got someone on the outside bashing on the door because they want some bread to be lent to them temporarily. Who are you? Are you the person on the outside who, in an emergency, is running to the door to bash because you've run out of bread? Or are you the child inside the house with fresh bread there constantly and a loving Heavenly Father who is with you, looking after you all the time? So is this passage about being persistent? Yes, of course God honors our prayers and when we're persistent but is it not about remaining in him and dwelling with him all the time see Jesus is the bread of life the father knows what his children need all the time and if we can learn to live like that rather than being this, this picture of someone having to come to the door and bash on the door means that they've not been there with the father They've been absent and they're banging on the door in desperation. How many times do we go to our loving Heavenly Father desperate with nothing, or so it seems, when we are invited to dwell in him all the time? Can you see the difference? You know, where are you in that, in that little story? tiny little it's almost like a throwaway you know the, the father's got his kids in the house and you know he's obviously got bread and the person on the outside where are you there because there are times where I you know I've allowed the world and all the pain and the suffering and the lies and I've gone running back to the father as if he was never there Lord I need some, I need some bread now I need it he's like well I've just live here Live here with me, dwell with me, and you've got that stuff all the time. And I think it's important to acknowledge what the living through a global experience such as the pandemic, where it's so easy to live in that realm. Guys, we're not, we're not designed to live like that. 
I mean, how many of us have struggled with feeling depressed or getting anxious? How many of us can look around the space, and I've, I've said this before, and note the people that are not here now, who are not going anywhere, and some of those people have lost their faith completely. It has impacted us, and we need to be wise about that. But the good news is, folks, the good news is that that treasure, that pearl of wisdom, that, that, that knowing that God who looks after us and has a room for all of us, my father's house has, okay, there's always an open invitation for any one of us to go back to that place, okay? It says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, nothing. So you might have been living out there on the streets like an orphan, okay? Dirty hands, dirty clothes. You might feel like you've got nothing, but the Father's house has many rooms. You have got a key. If you've given your life to Jesus, you've got a key for that front door anytime. And you are being invited back to come and dwell with him. Do you want to be a dwarf or a dweller? You see, we, we might be Christians, but we, we are all very able to step into poverty spirit when we get frightened, okay? Resist the devil and he will, okay? Perfect love drives out. So we've got to start taking some of this stuff and using it. These are tools and weapons to be able to step into a new season. You see, if we want to, be, if we want to bring glory to God, then we've got to be living lives that are glorifying to God. Does that make sense? So, so there are things that we can do and there are decisions that we can make, but even more good news than that, we have got a God who heals, restores, redeems, and puts our feet back onto that rock again when we need it. Okay? There is no such thing as having to earn your way back. That door is there for you right now. I'm just going to read the little passage in uh, Narnia. So this is the dwarf scene, and I'm going to finish with a prayer. So, uh, yeah, I'll just read it. Aslan said Lucy through tears. Could you, will you do something for these poor dwarfs? Dearest, says Aslan, I will show you both what I can and what I cannot do. He came close to the dwarves and gave a low growl, low, but it sent all the air shaking. But the dwarves said to one another, hear that? That's the gang at the other end of the stable trying to frighten us. They do it with a machine of some kind. Don't take any notice. They won't take us, they won't take us in again. They're frightened, by the way, of being in prison. Aslan raised his head and shook his mane. Instantly, a glorious feast appeared on the dwarf's knees. 
pies and tongues and pigeons and truffles and ices, and each dwarf had a go goblet of good wine in his right hand, but it wasn't much use. They began eating and drinking eagerly enough, but it was clear that they couldn't taste it properly. They thought they were eating and drinking only the sorts of things you might find in a stable. One said he was trying to eat hay, and another said he'd got a bit of an old turnip, and the third said he'd found a raw cabbage leaf. And they raised their golden goblets of rich red wine to their lips and said, Ugh, fancy drinking dirty water out of a trough that his donkey's been it at. Never thought we'd come to this. But very soon, every dwarf began suspecting that every other dwarf had found something nicer than he had, and they started grabbing and snatching and went on to quarreling, till in a few minutes there was a free fight, and all the good food was smeared on their faces and clothes and trodden underfoot. But when at last they sat down to nurse their black eyes and their bleeding noses, they all said, well, at any rate, there's no humbug here. We, won't, we haven't let anyone else take us in. The dwarves are for the dwarves. You see, as said Aslan, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their minds. And yet they are in that prison and so afraid of being taken in, they cannot be taken out. But come, children, I have other work to do. Jesus, come and release us from the prison of our own minds. We are sorry that at times we have chosen to live like orphans and we have distrusted you. Holy Spirit, reveal the truth to us and fill us abundantly with power to live out the gospel, bearing fruit in our lives as we dwell with you, that your glory would be reflected for the world to see. Amen.